today. And so for that, I'm thankful, and I'm sure that everyone else is thankful that we get to be together to worship God. This morning, I want to talk about conditional and unconditional promises. Last night, Kate had a softball game, and we had a little time before the game, and the team was all gathered around, and they were talking about hitting home runs. And, and I told the girls, I said, I will pay anyone that hits a home run tonight $1,000. I said that because the field that they play on doesn't really have a fence. I said, it's got to be over the fence. It does have a fence, but it's like way, 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 nobody, Babe Ruth couldn't hit a home run on that field. And so I said, listen, you, met, you hit a home run, I'll pay you $1,000. Well, <clears throat> while we're waiting for that game to get started, the lights on the field began to flicker and go out, and they had to move us to another field, and it was the field that the younger girls play on, and it does have a fence, and it's very close, and I had to say, wait, now my deal doesn't work on this field. Conditional and unconditional promises, we understand those. Grant just read for us some conditional promises that God made to the children of Israel, that he would bless them if they would follow him. And if they didn't follow him, they wouldn't get the blessings. And the promises were based on how the Israelites lived. God gives us lots of conditional promises in the Bible. But he also gives us unconditional as promises as well. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, God gives us an unconditional promise that will happen whether we do live for him or we don't live for him in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10 but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up that's an unconditional promise isn't it there's nothing that we do nothing that we can uh, do to affect that or change that that's an unconditional promise from God and so God gives conditional promises, and He gives unconditional promises. This morning, I'd like to look at a passage for, with you that you are familiar with, no doubt. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning of verse 5, where we read, Be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for he careth for you. In this passage, we see both a conditional promise and an unconditional promise. And I want to look at those two promises with you this morning. I'm going to leave this verse on the screen the whole time. So I hope you have your Bibles handy. And you can turn along and follow along with some of the other passages that we want to reference this morning. And so we have a conditional and an unconditional promise here. First, the conditional promise. The promise that God will exalt us. But those, that promise is predicated based upon conditions. We need to be clothed with humility. In order for God to exalt us, he needs, we need to be clothed with humility. The idea presented here of being clothed with humility indicates something about our humility. We have to be clothed with humility. It has to be an integral part of our character. This language is similar to the language that Jesus, of, of what was described Jesus in John chapter 13. Look at John chapter 13 with me, beginning of verse 4. John 13, beginning of verse 4. 
we have this idea of being clothed with something, and we'll learn something about our humility, I think, by looking at this in John chapter 13, beginning of verse 4. In John chapter 13, verse 4, at that last supper that uh, Joseph talked to us about, where the Lord's Supper was instituted, where we remember Christ's body and blood, in chapter 13 of John, verse 4, chapter 13, verse 4, Jesus rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a, a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Jesus took this towel and he tied it around himself or girded it around himself or clothed himself with this towel. Why? Because he was getting ready to do something and he needed that towel. That towel would help him to do what he needed to do. And so it is with our humility. We need to be clothed with humility because it's about how we're going to live our lives. Our lives are going to be dictated and mandated by our humility. We're going to clothe ourselves with our humility. We're going to live our lives toward God with humility. And so we've got to have humility on. We're going to live our lives towards our fellow man in a humble way. And so we've got to have humility. You have clothes, no doubt, that are dedicated for certain tasks, don't you? You probably have some lawn mowing clothes or some house cleaning clothes. Clothes that you put on because they'll help you get done what you need to get done. Our lives need to be directed by humility. We need to be clothed with humility. It's not just something that's a sort of a, a minor aspect of our life. No, we're clothed with humility. It is an all-encompassing characteristic of the life of a Christian to be clothed with humility. It is not like the humility we read about in Colossians chapter 2. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 18. In Colossians 2, verse 18, we read, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. You know, there's such a thing as false humility. Humility that's just a show. Something that you just put on as a display to impress others. When it is for your benefit to look humble, you put on this false humility. No, we're to be clothed with humility. If we're going to be exalted by God, humility has to describe our life. And in the society that we live in, brethren, humility is a rare thing. Specifically in the area where we live, where we are blessed abundantly, as Joseph has reminded us. The tendency and the temptation is that we become lifted up in our pride. If we're going to be pleasing to God, if, God will, if we want God to exalt us, we have to be the exact opposite of what our society is telling us. We have to be humble. And we've got to be clothed in this humility. It is so vitally important. But why should we? Why should we even care about humility? Well, the next sentence and the next phrase in this passage helps us understand why we need to be humble. Number one, because God resists the proud. 
God resists the proud. Marvin Vincent in his word study says this phrase means he setteth himself in array against as one draws out a host for battle. Like God is coming out to battle against those who are proud. He resists them. You can imagine the old military scenes, maybe the battles around Franklin in the Civil War that you can envision and remember, and maybe you've seen and visited those sites, where an army would come against another. That's the vision and the image of God coming against those who are proud, like you'd set yourself in battle array against someone. God resists the proud. One who is proud finds himself in opposition to God. And we can understand how that would be. When we think about God's nature, God sent His Son to earth who displayed total humility. And so when we're proud, we're saying we're better than God. We set ourselves in opposition to God. We need to understand how repulsive pride is to God. We need to understand what God thinks of us when we're proud. Look in the, uh, Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, you know this passage by heart. Proverbs chapter 6, look at verse 16 beginning. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. These six things the Lord hates. You remember that passage? And we remember it. We, we cite it for hands that shed innocent blood, feet that are swift to running to mischief. Look at this. These six things the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Lots of nasty, ugly sins there. And what heads off the list? A proud look. God hates pride. We've got to be rooting it out of our lives. We see an example of how God views pride in Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12, the boys in the, in the, in the group here will like this story and probably remember it because it's sort of gruesome. For Acts chapter 12, look at beginning of verse 21. Acts 12, beginning verse 21. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. The voice of a God and not of a man. The voice of a God and not of a man. You can begin to see his head beginning to swell. He's starting to buy it. Then immediately, verse 23, an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. What does God think about pride? He hates it. He hates it. God resists the proud. It's like he's coming out in battle array against the proud. You don't want to be proud. You're against God when you're proud. And second, we see from this passage that God gives grace to the humble. Instead of being proud, we want to be humble so that God will give us grace. And our salvation, you'll remember, is dependent upon God's grace. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, you know this passage as well. But it tells us very clearly that without God's grace, we're not going to be saved. When we're proud, we'll be lost. 
Ephesians chapter 2, beginning of verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble, and that is so vital to our salvation. Understanding these two facts, then, ought to make it easy for us, therefore, to humble ourselves. We need to be humbling ourselves. You know... The attitude of humility, shunning pride and being humble, is a characteristic and a trait that we really have to work on and develop ourselves. Others may never know the condition of my heart when it comes to the matter of pride. You ever thought about that? Others, I may be able to hide pride from everyone else. But in my heart, how do I view myself? Do I view myself as more important than others? Inside, in my heart, do I look down on others and consider them to be lower than me and myself to be better? You see, I'm afraid many times I may be able to hide the pride in my heart. We can fake humility. We can do some self-deprecation and and show off some false humility and sort of hide from others how we think of ourselves. We're going to have to humble ourselves. We're going to have to take this upon ourselves to work on our heart because it may not be visible to others. Have you ever heard of someone being approached by another Christian because they were proud? Now, we have examples, I'm sure, of people being approached because they were involved in some type of immorality and they needed to be corrected about that. Maybe their attendance was not what it should be and they had to be addressed about that. Maybe there were other issues in their life that they had to be addressed by and so other Christians would approach them and help them and try and encourage them. But have you ever known somebody who went to a brother or sister because they were proud? We have to humble ourselves, I'm afraid. We need to be working on humbling ourselves. And humility means that we're going to be submissive to God's instructions in every aspect of our lives. It's going to cause us to have the attitude that Jeremiah mentioned in Jeremiah 10, verse 23. O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct himself. We need to humble ourselves. And when we understand who we're humbling ourselves to, Peter goes on and makes it easy for us. We're humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Could it be any easier when we realize who we're humbling ourselves under? Under the mighty hand of God. We're humbling ourselves under the almighty creator of the world. It should be easy to humble ourselves to God, but we know by looking at history that many have failed. Look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 talks about some people who would not humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. And it is a picture that mirrors what we see in our society today. The pride that is in our society today and the result of those people who have that pride and how their lives are demonstrated. In Romans chapter 1, beginning of verse 21, 
Romans 1, beginning verse 20, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore God gave them also up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And we could keep on going. And it sounds like 21st century America. Because when we don't humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, there are all kinds of consequences to be paid. Of course, if we will humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, we're going to have to humble ourselves under other men as well. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6 beginning. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, we read about the humility that God showed towards us, and therefore we have to show towards our fellow man. In uh, Romans chapter 5, beginning of verse 6, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We've got to be humble. It is so vitally important because if we will humble ourselves, if we'll be clothed in humility, if we will humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and be humble in our dealings with fellow man, then we will be exalted in due time. God's conditional promise. If we will humble ourselves, He will exalt us in due time. And this is not the only place in the New Testament where we read about the necessity of first humbling ourselves so that we can then later be exalted. Humble yourselves and then be exalted. Turn your Bibles to Matthew 23, verse 12. Matthew 23, verse 12. This attitude of humility is so important if we're going to be successful in our walk as Christians. Matthew 23, beginning of verse 12. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You want to be exalted? You must be humble. Jesus gives us the perfect example of this in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, start with verse 8. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Talking of Jesus, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Jesus humbled himself. And he was exalted. God promises you and he promises me that if we'll humble ourselves, we'll be exalted. And who else would we want to exalt us? People exalt other people, but God will exalt us. Notice it's going to be in due time. He'll exalt us in due time. We're going to have to live a humble life so that we can be exalted in due time. And then we get to the unconditional promise. The unconditional promise is that He cares for us. 
That's an unconditional promise. God cares for us. As a result of Him caring for us, though, we must cast all our cares on Him. This requires humility, doesn't it? It requires the humility that recognizes that we need help. And it requires the humility to realize that there's one who can provide us help. And that is our almighty creator. The scriptures over and over again tell us to cast our care on God. Look at Psalm 55. Psalm 55, verse 22. Psalm 55, verse 22. Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and He shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Cast your care on the Lord. Cast all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, a passage that we've looked at before and that you likely know by heart. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Be careful for nothing. Vincent, in his word study, says this idea of casting your care upon God denotes a once and for all act. A once and for all thing. In other words, we cast our care to God and we don't go back to pick it up. You throw it away. You give it to God. You cast your care upon God and you leave it there with God. We're to cast our care upon Him. And there's a three-letter word that's important here and it's that word all. All of our care is cast upon Him. I don't cast some things on God and then keep some things for myself. I cast all my care upon Him because of this unconditional promise, this wonderful promise that He cares for us. What a wonderful promise it is. The Creator who has the mighty hand that we just read about cares for us. It's a comforting thought when you're in a time of need to be cared by someone, isn't it? Maybe when you're sick, you're not feeling well, and your spouse comes and cares for you. Or maybe you've got a trusted doctor that you really like, and when you're not feeling well, you just feel better to go and talk to that doctor. How much greater to know that God cares for us. The scriptures over and over again talk about God's care for us. Psalm 40, verse 17. Psalm 40, verse 17. Psalm 40, verse 17 says, But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. In Luke 12, verse 24, Jesus said, Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are you better than the fowls? Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. We have the conditional promise. 
that we'll be exalted if we'll humble ourselves. We have the unconditional promise that God cares for us, that he wants what's best for us. Are we submitting to him? Are we humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God? How are you living your life this morning? Are you living a life of submission to God? We read in Psalm 40, verse 17, I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. I asked Ben to lead us in Psalm 4, our song 438, Thou thinkest, Lord, of me. God cares for us. And He cares about our soul so much that He sent His Son to die for us. Are we living for Him? If you're here this morning and you started that walk, but you've fallen away, there's better, no, no better time than right now to get right with God. If you're here, you've never started that walk by becoming a Christian, by submitting to God's plan of salvation. There's no better time than right now to do that. And if we could help you, let us know while we stand and sing.